2: Uh, Quadro, man, I'm so stoked to have you back on the show, uh, for folks who are new to the podcast or newish to the podcast, maybe they didn't hear you the last time you were on, which I believe was, uh, sometime last year, perhaps time at time is, yeah. is, is, is getting away from me. <laughs> yeah. It literally could have been any time within the last vortex of two years, whatever the fuck <laughs> time is. Um, Quadro, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, give us a rundown on who you are and, uh, what you do for a living. This
1: is fantastic. First of all, boys, I'm psyched. Yes, I am psyched. Last time was so much fun. Oh my god, this is going to be even better! But yeah, my name is Cordial Karen Mantang. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician in Ottawa. I uh recent, recently been appointed uh, director of our ICU over here at the Ottawa Hospital. Oh, I also do uh, uh, oh thank you. They had no one better, you know what i <laughs> <laughs> the, the list wasn't huge, I'll tell you that much. Um, uh, I uh host a podcast called solving healthcare that uh, talks about how to make healthcare more sustainable. So we, that like, obviously, uh, well, I shouldn't say obviously it changed my life and it's probably why I'm on the show now. And, yeah. um and yeah, done a couple other side things like uh we have a well solving wellness, which is, uh you know, to reduce burnout within uh, healthcare providers, but yeah, just do my best to uh, advocate for, people in need during this uh, crazy time and uh just hustling boys yeah. Hustling. <laughs> yeah yeah and you uh you do advocate you do lots of
2: advocation and you do such a good job you're 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 an incredible voice in the world of of healthcare in particular here in Canada and uh it's exactly the reason why we wanted to have you back on today um we've been seeing a lot of posts coming from you uh through your social media you've been doing a lot of uh a lot of uh interviews with uh with you know c t v and the like um spe- specifically surrounding the the topic of covid and the the situation that um the entire world finds ourselves in um, and taylor Taylor really wanted to get you back on the show to kind of dive into some of the stuff that you 've been talking about in your your interviews and stuff that you 've been covering on your social media
3: yeah it was um the thing that, that jumped out to me and, and when I first heard of, when I first heard of the, uh, the Merck and the Pfizer therapeutic, uh, treatment that was coming out, that like that news really jumped out at me. I mean, I'm I'm not, not, not that I'm a, you know, not that I'm some Oracle, I'm sure it jumped out to millions of people all over the world, but it, it, it jumped out to me as, wow, this is, uh, this is sort of like a missing piece of the puzzle in terms of how we've, been dealing with COVID and how we will deal with COVID going forward into the future and, uh, seemed like this really, really important wall of defense. And I, I looked at these therapeutics and my first thought was, okay, wow, we've been dealing with this. People, people get COVID and they either, they either get sort of, you know, sick and stay at home sick or they get sick and go to the hospital sick. And, 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 and sort of like in that in that in that in between of getting sick and being at home and being sick and needing you know really serious care at the hospital there wasn't this sort of in between treatment that you could that you could take and um it really sparked uh it really stood out to me as something that would be like vitally important going forward and i know that you spoke to uh, and i saw a clip of of you speaking about it on ctv and I really wanted to to get your thoughts on it. A because we had you on the show before, and you're such a knowledgeable um, and informed person in here. You're in your in what you do and working in the ICU. I was really interested in getting your perspective on what are these therapeutics? What is their job? What role are they going to play in how we treat COVID going forward?
1: I, I just want to say one thing, for Taylor. Like this is a lot of. Uh, to a lot of people, some of the stuff how we've approached COVID doesn't totally make sense. And I'll tell you honestly, objectively, this is one of the things that doesn't make sense. Like, imagine you could have a treatment or medication that, when you get diagnosed with COVID, will prevent you from walking into the door, prevent you from walking into a merge, getting intubated, or having these like prolonged hospitalizations prior to, to Omicron. By the way, mm-hmm. and. Can we just comment on that Omicron, how that Omicron. sounds like a transformer <laughs> or something? Yeah, yeah some it does, like yeah, yeah. Very much yeah. so. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, pre-Omicron, you, like you being hospitalized is not good. And you think there would be a, a significant body of research looking at what's going to prevent you from walking in the door. And- you know there was there was some studies out there on on some p- potential therapeutics as you mentioned uh so the, there's the Pfizer and Merck the oral ant, uh antivirals that absolutely achieved that the problem is right now you could get them in the states you can't get them in, in 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 Canada right we also had some uh in in terms of other ones there's one called monoclonal antibodies which we had one of our uh guests Zane Chagla really spearheaded the clinic in hamilton which has been incredible like really good results for people that are high risk so what they try and do is if you're high risk being you're older you're unvaccinated you have specific Me. risk factors like, that I, lead like you I, to, I would be one of those people you know cystic fibrosis. oh you Living would definitely be a, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah for sure jared would be eligible for sure immunocompromised so you get diagnosed and you go into that clinic and you get a uh, 20-minute treatment an IV infusion, I think it's 20 minutes, 20 or 30 minutes, make mm-hmm. sure you don't have a reaction, go home, and you significantly reduce your chance of coming into the hospital. Ooh. This is not a cheap treatment, but I'll tell you, landing in hospital is extremely expensive. I think the, I think it was uh, the Canadian data showing an average COVID admissions about $25,000 to Canadian taxpayers. Wow. So Whoa. this wow. is just a, a bit of a mystery uh, to me, why we haven't really embraced it. The other one, so there's two, that one that's understudied. And
3: sorry, the monoclonal antibodies, they, those have been something that have been available. They, they, they were a treatment that was, they're a product that was, that was around pre-COVID. Is
1: that correct? Precisely, precisely, <laughs> yeah. And the other, so the two other ones that I'll, I'll mention, one um, that's like showing significant benefits. So there's an antidepressant called fluoxamine. Mm -hmm. Uh, which, uh, I think in the protocol, it's a five day treatment, like relatively well tolerated. If you're going to have it only for five days, once again, a medication that is shown science from the studies to reduce your risk of being hospitalized. Then the other one that is, I was surprised didn't get evaluated stronger. There's an oral puffer that has a steroid budesonide, um, that uh was showing some signs of promise but it was mostly observational they didn't they didn't study it extensively mm-hmm. enough at least uh, uh, in terms of what i've seen so far but in general the theme of really embracing medication that could prevent you from landing in hospital i i was i was disappointed that this wasn't more we didn't see more evaluations or or really embraced it more than we we could be right cuz
3: cuz cuz the idea of I mean, obviously and this is something that this is something that I personally have been looking at a lot of going, yes, it's interesting to know how many cases of COVID are happening. It's it's you know, we see that information, you know, in how in Nova Scotia we get those like we get daily updates of case numbers and everything. But I'm looking at the data and going with the real measurement of of COVID and its significance and how harmful it is to any community is how many people are landing in hospitals and how Mm. many people are then subsequently dying from being infected, going to the hospital and their condition deteriorating. And anything that can, anything that can go towards reducing that. And the vaccine is obviously included in that is of value to, to explore deeply and to find out what value it holds so that we can, Reduce that most important statistic, which is being ending up in the hospital and dying subsequently in the hospital. Sorry, Brian. I know you were going to go into something mm-hmm.
0: there. I was just <laughs> going to ask. Like you, you, you mentioned that these therapeutics have been um, understudied over the last couple of years. It seems like there's been a big focus on um, on the vaccine research before the vaccines were developed, and then subsequently, um, probably advocacy and investing in in promoting the vaccines to get people to to take them has that been uh a, a distraction from studying mm. and moving these therapeutics forward or or am i conflating two issues that don't really uh have an impact on one another
1: no no but i think it's a good point and a good question and i, I can't believe i have to say this but just because i get a lot of haters uh that i absolutely am very adamant the the vaccines are miraculous. Mm-hmm. They really yeah. work significantly at reducing your t- chance of getting severe disease, meaning dying or landing in ICU or landing in hospital from the vaccine. One, two or three doses. Like, honestly, it's, it's amazing. So I just have that in mind before I get the hate mails. Yeah. <laughs> it. Um, I just, and, and just like it being a priority, like this is where I probably would have, I would, I know I would have prioritized the vaccine as well. like, don't get me wrong. Like in terms of research, I just don't know if there was, it was mutually exclusive. And like, right. for example, there's a, the study that, that's showing the f- efficacy or the, the, the value of the fluoxamine, that antidepressant, like, I don't, I guess you, you're not really hearing it mainstream being prescribed. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, and it, so it's still not being adopted. I'm, I, I, I want to make sure, like, I don't think I'm missing something here. Like the study was pretty, was pretty solid it was in in one of their most influential medical journals i believe it was lancet i don't quote me on that um but it's such a like when you look at the cost benefit of it Mm -hmm. it's just like Mm -hmm. it's a no-brainer i think and you know there's specific populations that are going to be at risk no matter how many times they get the vaccine Mm -hmm. like you know not just of of getting you know swabbing for it but i mean of of severe disease Mm -hmm. and so like this is why like you know as you said. Like we're trying to protect the hospitals, and I'll reinforce. By the way, that is the number one metric. I don't care what, like all this talk about metrics, like, um, and it's a bit more complicated now that we you get the incidental covids. But in general, hospitalizations for sure. This is mm-hmm. the whole goal, trying to protect that. Um. So, so yeah,
2: I it it's bizarre to me that like like I feel, and I want to be careful saying this because I, I know this this could probably be taken um taken the wrong way or there's there's always something that be said about it but but i feel like we've we've got the vaccine figured out you know what i mean like to sure we might not have, have it figured out that um like in in order to like we haven't figured out how to get the vaccine to all of the places that need it because there's a whole shit show there in terms in the world, of you mean? yeah in the world like you know the shit show of of countries hoarding vaccines and Poorer countries not really getting access and that but that's not the issue i'm talking about what i'm talking about is like we have more than one vaccine that has been shown and proven to be at least somewhat effective and seemingly quite effective in in doing what it what it can do um, so why have it like shouldn't like shouldn't we just put a period on that and move on to the the therapeutics like why haven't we what is the reason for why we have not moved on to putting more focus on therapeutics? And, and like, you know, I don't want, I don't want to like get tin hat, tinfoil hat conspiracy (laughs) with it, but like, is this a case of like, is this a, a, a monetary financial hurdle like that? You know, that, that, that companies like Pfizer or companies like Moderna don't really want us going down that route because, Right now, it they are they basically run a monopoly on Treating what is out there COVID. to treat COVID, and yet it, COVID isn't being treated. It's just it's just being preempted. Pre, or, yeah, yeah, exactly. like a prophylactic. Yeah, like, right. is, is am I am I crazy in thinking that? Like, immediately my brain goes, "Oh, it's because there's Goddamn the big pharma, big pharma." <laughs> then you know, but well, like,
1: but but there like, there's got to be something there to that, right? Well, you, you wouldn't be the first one to say that, you know, like there's, you know, the the contrary or whatever the term is, uh, the, the the evidence that, you know, that we were willing to look at cheap drugs was if you get hospitalized with COVID and you need oxygen, one of the best treatments we have is a oral steroid, Decadron. Um, and that's one of the cheapest drugs in the world. And uh, that's well established. We embraced it. So that, that was one argument against that. The arguments for is, I mean, obviously they have a lot of incentive to, you know, to get as many doses to people as possible. You're hearing about fourth doses now in, in places like Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people are even advocating it for patients in long-term care. So like, you know, I, I know, I definitely know where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I'll put it this way. I, I'm so... I, I so am uh, sensitive to cancel culture. Like it's, cool. it's, yeah. it's always like you got to be careful of what, uh, <laughs> yeah. what I, you see. But uh, it, I definitely see and hear where you're coming from and you're not the first person to bring this up. Yeah. I see
3: it from a, I, I hear you, Jer. And I think that that's something, that's something to consider. I mean, I, the, you know, there's no company in the history of publicly traded companies that doesn't want to make more money. That's just how that's mm-hmm. how it works. But I see it. I I come at this more from the perspective of from like a like a government messaging or like a fear from the government that not that they don't not that there's not a recognition that therapeutics are out there and that therapeutics that there are therapeutics that can work for treating covid but that 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 there's a fear that if we if we talk about something that isn't the vaccine because the vaccine is so important for a mass population that any any messaging that isn't on the vaccine undermines the messaging of the vaccine. And right. Said, like,
2: like we're at a point where w- there's still a huge swath of people in Canada that are,
1: that are not for the vaccine. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
3: What do you think about that? Kwaja?
2: Yeah.
1: Like I, I, I gotta tell you amongst the, the hate mail that uh, I receive or the angry either tweets or emails, it's along those lines. Like if you say anything remotely, uh, negative about the vaccine holy cow you're you're anti-vax you're, yeah. you're gonna propagate some uh negative uh uh um like we're g- negative uh news about the vaccine but i'll tell you my firm belief is you got to be you got to be truthful and you got to be transparent because mm-hmm. if they say like i'll give you an example like if you are uh if there was a negative outcome with with one of the vaccines and we were like don't worry about it it's going to be completely fine don't worry like and we know that there is some negative impact and then people see it not only are you impacting that vaccine's ability to to, <clears throat> to propagate to get it to people that need it but it's future vaccines too like one of the most like the, one of the uh, episodes we got a lot of um attention for was the childhood vaccination one I said should you vaccinate your child um, and this was part of the thing like I, I we basically were saying like you should respect families' choices because at the time well, this was you know we did the episode in December There was only 1500 kids that received the vaccine those in the studies like and you're not going to see a major harm signal based on 1500 kids and so our whole message was like respect people's uh, uh, decision if they want to have some time to see what the safety profile is. This should be allowed because kids are very low risk and so on. But man, oh, you, you, I'm assuming you're not going to vaccinate your kids, you're anti-vax and all this stuff. I'm like, no, man. Mm. If you ruin childhood vaccinations by by pushing some, something. Like this is not just a COVID vaccine. It's the 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 fundamental ones that you the measles,
2: like the things. Yeah, right. The things that would like polio, things we've eradicated that we don't have to focus on anymore because they have worked and and we've gone down that road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny that it seems like there's just not enough room or not enough space to allow the conversation to be anything but. Just the vaccine on the you know? on the
3: so uh, br- a topic of conversation that's been amongst us is a, a, an episode of a podcast. Uh, the podcast is called The Drive with a physician. His name's Peter Atia, and he was talking with a couple of Johns Hopkins um, um, primary care physicians and and they were described. They were talking about they were t- they were talking about something that they coined. Uh, I think they coined as the alt middle, and, and which which was. This group of people that, you know, you're not just, you're not just hearing, you're not just, if you say anything against the vaccination, you're, you're, a, you're the devil and you're not, you're not, you know, uh, you're not somebody who thinks that the government is made of lizard people and that they're eating babies <laughs> mm. and you're in the middle and you're going, well, there's, there's nuance to all of this. And something that, that I heard someone, I think it was Peter Attia that described it like this. They said... You know, there's an there's an age gradient to importance of the vaccine. And that's something that we should be 100%. very, very aware of. And that if you are an old per if you are 60, 65 plus, then getting the vaccine is like is like stepping in front of an oncoming tricycle to pick up a, a bitcoin. And if you're a five year old, it's like stepping in front of a train to pick up a penny. Like there's just a different there's just a different level of risk versus reward depending on the age that you're in. It's not saying that there's no risk for any age group and that there's no reward for any age group. It's that there's an, a gradient and everybody's different. And especially when you get down to younger ages, you it just requires a little bit more thought and evaluation. And that's not the end of the world. And you, you're not an anti-vaxxer if you think that. And... That's that should be a that should be a topic of conversation that sh- that should be allowed mm. to be had. I didn't know you could you could physically pick up bitcoins. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: That's where the metaphor breaks down.
1: I, I'm 100 percent with you. And this I'll tell you where this comes into play. It's boosters like you like the way we set it up in most of the provinces now. It's like anybody could get their. Their, their boosters can we cuss on the show i can't remember Absolutely, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay so anybody could get their booster which is it sounds on paper is great but i was talking to a 70 year old guy around christmas time he's like i can't book my booster for another month or whatever i'm like this guy is the exact person that needs it he's yeah. a, you know he's 70 he's got some uh, early uh, diabetes you know what i'm saying like an 18 year old college kid i'm sorry you don't need to be a priority you know what i mean like it just it just gets to be to the point where like we need a little bit of nuance and yeah. thought behind this like we should legit be delivering the vaccine to this guy's house yeah, yeah. right yeah. You know I mean? Mean, and that was, that was the
2: whole like the hunger games thing that they were talking about i mean here in nova scotia i think they did a really great job uh nova scotia saw what was happening there and and basically said okay whoa whoa, whoa. like we first let's get everyone 50 and above let's get them in sure. once we've covered that then we'll open it up to mm-hmm. to the younger the younger folks um but then the funny thing is i'm sitting here going yeah but i'm fucking 33 and i don't fall i don't fall in that category yeah. and i'm and and they're not they're also not mm-hmm. saying 50 plus um and anyone else who is at high risk it, they just keep it at the age you know, That's so, the nuance, though. So. That's exactly. the nuance where it's missing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's like even, even over here, when it comes to monoclonal, it took us a while. But it was like, if you're immunocompromised, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, it comes down to being this simple. And, and I don't mean to sound like condescending, but this is why I think I get pretty frustrated. Are you likely to land in hospital or in ICU? Are you in risk, a risk for that? If your answer is yes, throw the kitchen sink at you. Because yeah. I'll tell you, we know exactly who lands here. And it's not, you know, healthy people. You know what I mean? I I like there's going to be exceptions just so I don't get drop kicked in the mouth. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, I'll put it this way. In my COVID since March 2020, or since starting to see COVID patients, I have never seen yet a completely healthy person land in ICU. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. And
2: yeah, and we're seeing that in the numbers that are being covered here in Nova Scotia. I mean, you know, you look at the daily tally of the patients that are in hospital and patients that are in the ICU, although they're not saying uh, these patients are high risk because of, you know, A, B, C, D, whatever it is in their, in their health history, you do see it in the numbers where it's like, you know, we have 50 people in the hospital and they range in age between, um, you know, whatever, 40 and, and 85 3,200
0: actually was the numbers yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. like, I was just,
2: just, just throwing out yeah. a, a made up number I, cause I haven't been following it, but, but, but you do see that number of like, it's mostly people who are quite high in age. Right. And through conversations of friends of ours that work in the hospital, you know, we hear from them and, and, you know, I'm always asking like, what's the ICU looking like? And it's, it's people that are elderly and people that are um in there with like diabetes or severely overweight yeah. or you know whatever the situation might it be bring,
3: it it kind of reminds me of the conversation that we had and i can't remember I'm, I'm can't remember his name now he's uh he was the head of the geriatric unit uh, at at a tr- at a ho- uh, hospital in toronto yeah <clears throat> we spoke to him fairly early on in um in the pandemic and jeremy you know Jer- jeremy made a made a made a comment where he said something on the lines of like you know covid uh, covid doesn't discriminate and I think you were, ref- and I think for context, I think you were referencing like, anybody can get doesn't COVID. discriminate. Anybody, yeah. anybody can get it. And then he said, well, you know, it, it really does discriminate. It discriminates against people Beach. who, who yeah. are older, uh, with compromised immune systems, people with comorbidities, people with things like yeah. diabetes. They're on people who are on, uh, uh, cancer treatments and, and, um, uh, and from a personal standpoint and going back to the therapy, the conversation about therapeutics, um, COVID for me was largely." Uh, was largely di- distant in ter- in the in the way that I knew a few people that had had it but they weren't they weren't like immediately close to me and then a couple of weeks ago uh, about a week and a half ago my mom got covid and and immediately I thought okay you've got covid you're si- she's 60 she's in her early 60s and I'm thinking um shit you're sort of like on the cusp of somebody in the terms of an age group that could get really sick from this and that worries me and and sitting there going you're all i can do is wait for you to either get better or end up extremely sick in the hospital and there's no in between and why is there no in between why is there no call up your doctor hey i've got i've got covid uh, is there a treatment that I can that I can take now that I know that I've got it, to make it less likely for me to be somebody who ends up in a hospital bed?
1: Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. I mean, you literally literally are sitting there trying to figure, like see how this plays out. And you know, and a lot of people would love the opportunity to do something about it while, you know, to reduce your chances. Um, but it it's funny you mentioned that Taylor too, about like knowing somebody that has COVID. I think this is why you're going to see policy in the landscape change. Like, like I've been in some ways blessed to have that perspective of, of uh, you know, what COVID looks like, who it affects. And so like, and since the beginning of the first wave, once I start to see that, like, you know, how it does discriminate, my anxiety went from here to here. I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, like I feel okay like I'm not like I'm not that anxious if we got covid or if our family got covid I mean if my parents did that's another thing but like you know like it was just a different reality and I think this is what you're going to see moving forward because now every, almost everybody knows someone that's had covid like omicron's changing the changing the perspective mm-hmm. and it's the, the the zoom culture the 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 higher ups that were were you know putting on very prohibitive Measures that weren't weren't affecting their uh, their lifestyle or their their bottom line are now seeing. Hey, you know, like maybe we do have to learn how to live with this. This isn't going anywhere. You can't eliminate COVID. You can't prevent it from at all costs from being, from us getting it. And I, I, I do think you're seeing a significant transition, which is going to allow us to be in a more sustainable environment. Mm-hmm.
3: But do you like do you and 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 do you see um? do you so you see the you see the therapeutics um and and also how omicron is shaping up to to look um uh as as uh we're moving in you know i guess maybe at a sna- at a snail's pace or at least it feels like that but we're going towards we're going towards that that environment where we are going to be able to 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 I I don't know. I I hesitate to, I hesitate to say like, are we going to go back to, you know, December, 2019, (laughs) you know, where, where, where everything like, is there, is there a world in which, is there a world in which that, that's, that looks like the future in the next 12 months, 18 months? You know,
1: my humble opinion, and this is just without knowing what future variants look like and all that kind of thing. But, and, and my humble opinion, yes. Like, You're hearing the director of the CDC saying, you know, we're going to have to learn to live with thing, this, we've got to focus our treatment for those that are high risk, which a lot of people have been saying for a long time. And to be honest with you, just like, ask yourself, what are, what we're doing right now? Is that sustainable? Can you keep closing down schools? Can you keep closing down businesses, including gyms, uh, shutting down your economy? Uh, You know, seeing when it affects mental health. Uh, physical health, all these factors are being impacted by our policy. Ask yourself, is this sustainable? And I I always come back to it. I reverse engineer this bad boy who's likely to get sick. Make sure that they have interventions, therapeutics, the boosters, vaccines, whatever it might be to prevent them from landing in hospital. But we have to be able to move on. And the other thing that's a, a, a bit of a blessing potentially with Omicron is that you know, it's pretty clear in the data if you got vac if you're vaccinated and you got an infection and you got that hybrid immunity, mm. it's like a you're it's like a super immunity. It's immunity yeah. on steroids, you know what I'm saying? Like it's uh you're much less likely to, to land in hospital as a result. So this is the other reason why people are saying, hey, like this could be the the end, or the term they're using is Push towards being endemic as opposed to this right. being a pandemic. Yes. Like,
2: could we see? Could we see this? Um, you know, I, I haven't like seen the word herd immunity used um, since like early days when there were some countries talking about even before the vaccines were out, talking about like purposely trying to 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 take on this herd immunity um, tactic uh, to to try to you know try to mitigate the damage. Like, are are we seeing a potential of of Omicron sort of uh, involuntarily bringing groups of people closer to this this notion of of herd immunity and, and what herd immunity can do in the long run?
1: I, I so like I'll just be like, just a little bit technical because some people use herd immunity as like the inability to get infected. Mm. I would say in the in terms of because. That, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, I think you'll still see infections come through. Mm-hmm. I think the way it's going to act like herd immunity is in, in terms of hospitalizations. Because yeah. if you've got a bunch of people with this hybrid immunity, like, it really is, it, it really is powerful. And then the, the, the theory with a lot of these respiratory viruses is that they become less uh, deadly, but they be, continue to become more contagious. So, mm-hmm. you know, yes, you might be able to get the next variant. Like you're much like on paper if things go in the right direction, you're much less likely to get sick from it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this is where, and in fact, it's acting like a herd immunity, um, is a real positive thing. And just to give you some context, I, you know, once again, March 2020 has been seeing patients, I still haven't seen somebody come in with COVID twice, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, you know what i mean because like, 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 yeah.
3: because i i've heard that you i've heard that if, if you if you've had covid and you get it again the likelihood is that it is going to be significantly less uh severe like if it was severe, if it was if it if it lands you in the hospital the first time it's it's you know again there's obviously exceptions but the likelihood of it of it landing you in the hospital a second time is close to nil
1: yeah. And there's studies like the Israeli study to show that those that have had previous infections would exactly, as you said, way less likely to be landing in, in hospital. So and, and I can't believe I have to say this, but I'm not saying people <laughs> to go out and get infected. I'm yeah, just right, saying yeah. that uh, when you look at those that have gotten uh, infected before, like it does seem to have a, a, a pretty powerful mm-hmm. immune response.
2: Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected,
1: available on all major podcast platforms.
3: Quadra, do you think that um, what do you do you think that there is still any merit to be reporting? Uh, and, and maybe this is a, maybe this is different in the context of of going through a surge of cases, which we are right now. But in the long run, in the broader in the broader context, is there still a merit to be reporting uh, case numbers to the public ad nauseum in the way that we have been?
1: I I can't see the, like. On paper, at least off on my initial thoughts, I don't see the value. All it does is cause hysteria and panic. And we're in, especially as we transition to a, a stage where the the, the the virus becomes less deadly. Like mm-hmm. if you look at the numbers now, like just to give you perspective, like I don't know what the numbers are like in, in Nova Scotia, but, um, and sorry, I should stamp this. This is January uh, uh, 11th, 2022, yeah. but like in, Ontario, we're seeing numbers around 4,000, 5,000, somewhere around there. You got to at least multiply that bad boy. Actually, no, we're way more than that. What am I saying? Like, we're in the 10,000. Sorry. You multiply that at least by five because no one's hardly anybody could get a test or go get tested. Right. Yeah. Right. So, like, these are like, I'm guessing we're at like 60,000 and more cases per day. Or and, like, you know, it's also affecting hospitalizations for sure at this stage Ooh. of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But if you're Ooh. throwing down numbers like that, you know, this is just going to cause some hysteria. I think once we have a clear case where there's a, there's that disconnect between cases and hospitalizations, like you treat this like influenza, you don't go in mm. to Chopper's Drug yeah. Mart and get an influenza test. You, you get it when you're in, in hospitals, you try and monitor things for outbreaks mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, but like you let public health do their thing. Yeah. And, yeah. This uh, was, Yeah, this
3: was something that I that I heard um, uh, that I heard uh, uh, some physicians, some some Johns Hopkins, uh, these primary care physicians at Johns Hopkins talk about was that if you and not and and not and not saying that COVID and the flu are the exact same thing. And I know people get super fucking pissed when you say something like that, but um, that if we were to if we were to release to the public on a daily basis, the amount of people that get flu that get the flu that would be that you know you would you would not feel good about that yeah. you would be scared about that yeah, about yeah. that if that was the metric that you was that you were disseminating yeah. all the time i i
2: i do i do want to just stress though that you know this this narrative of like omicron is mild is uh, i feel like that can be a, a a little bit problematic you know like like we we like we're hearing a lot of people s- s- say we're hearing a lot of people say that omicron is mild yet you know, I I and and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you, speaking about you know what, what I, I don't know Ontario's full full situation here, but you know, it's Omicron, although not as severe as Delta, is is still nothing to to be, you know. It's 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 not to be fucked with. You know, we're still here in Nova Scotia. We're still seeing. Um, you it's know, a relative
3: ter- It's a relative term. Yes, to but, Delta. you know,
2: we're we're still seeing surgeries being postponed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's still ICU admissions like like listening to I'm, I'm saying this to the person out there who's listening to this and and not being able to see the nuance, not being able to parse out the words that they're hearing and just hearing certain things and going, yeah, but but you shouldn't be saying that Omicron is mild because that's not what, that's not what we're saying. Mm-hmm. We're just saying that Omicron relative to something like Delta is not as bad. Yet we are not at but that place. That, We're not that's, at that place that's, where that, it should that's be treated I, like, been, like there's, influenza.
0: There's been a hundred things going through my mind for the last half hour. I haven't really had a chance that's to say too much. But uh, but uh, but I, I've been thinking about a lot of these things and and it is like one, the first thing I'll say is it's super fucking hard to have this conversation because of the polarization yeah. of people who are who are a yeah. hundred percent pro vax, which is you know, again, it's a good thing to be. In support of the vaccine, but and then people who are anti-vax, and and the, the there was a conversation. Taylor, you and I had this super heated argument on uh, or debate on on a Feel Good Friday episode mm-hmm. a few weeks ago about COVID therapeutics. And my stance in that argument was was wrong because I was what I was worried about hearing you say was that I was hearing you say therapeutics are great and. And, you know, that will provide an option for people who don't who don't want to get vaccinated to get treated, which means less people will die. And I was thinking, you can't say that, man, because you're going to you're going to dissuade people from getting vaccinated. And like what we really need to do right now is get people vaccinated. And so I was so ignorant to the fact that like, oh, there's a there's something out here that can help people and, and that will save lives. I just didn't want you to be using that language because I felt like, oh, fuck, we're going to influence people to think a certain way. And we're so worried about the language that we use and how we'll influence people that we're staying away from saying what's True. what's fa- what's fact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so the thing is, is that I think we need to appreciate and respect the fact that people are smart and that we can talk about the data without having some type of agenda. And the And honestly, not to be like one of those people who's like, it's the media's fault that this has been blown way to proportion, but like, like the reason why people (laughs) watch fucking television is because they, they, because things are dramatized in a way that captures their attention. I mean, Mm. look at any news channel and the colors and the bold text and the flashing and the animations, like they want you to watch. So it is important for us to feel like we don't have to censor ourselves when we have these conversations because we believe that the people that are listening are smart enough to mm-hmm. understand yeah. mm-hmm. what we're talking about. And if, and if they're, they're not, then what are you,
3: what is, what, is, what's been know. the, <laughs> what's been the response to, cause I, I Kwadra, when I see the clips of, of you talking on news programs, I, I just, I just hear, I just hear like really reason, a, a really reasonable person talking about reasonable things that are, you know, backed up by evidence and, and, and data and so what, but, but nonetheless in the zeitgeist can be controversial. So what have, what is your, what's your, what's the, res, what has been the response that you have felt from, uh, from your, um, from your like public appearances?
1: Yeah. Thanks for the, the question. I, I, I got a little bit of recency bias. So I'll, I'll try and be as big picture as possible, but I'll start with the bad. Like the, the bad has been, you know, as, as we were just talking about there, like sometimes they'll take some of the, what you say into context or out of context and say that, hey, if you said anything that's remotely anti vax they're going to they're gonna soundbite you and, and utilize that for their agenda and all that stuff. Like constantly say, and it's mostly me- medical folk actually, which I'm a little bit disappointed sometimes with my community to say, hey, like, you know what? We should have a little bit more faith in people. And as I talked about before, for not being honest, they'll see through it. And it, it could have some unintended consequences because um, there's been a lot of stuff. I got to tell you, that's been taboo to bring up like na- natural infection. The, yeah. Like what oh, that was a controversial using the word herd immunity was controversial. Mm. Bringing up myocarditis in kids was, was controversial. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like all these things it, it, like has been, it's such a hard field to navigate through. And I, I won't lie to you. Like I, every time I'm, Almost every time I'm on the air, like you get a little voice in your head saying like you better you got to walk on some eggshells, boy. You got to make sure you don't push an agenda too hard or someone's going to drop kick you in the in the chest or bust up your spleen or some shit. Because like (laughs) so like I'm always like and I've like had like formal complaints from, you know, from some of the stuff that I've been been saying. And so like, at at one point, though, my push has always been you got to look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and you know, kind of like my guiding point has always been my kids. I was saying like, you know, what, you know, how's, how's some of this policy going to affect our kids? How are they going to affect their future? Like when they started to close outdoor rinks, uh, I, I lost it. I, mm-hmm. I, I, and I got, got a little bit of heat for that one, but like I lost it when they were saying like, Oh, the kids can't be playing hockey outside when we know i outdoor transmission is so low risk to the point where i've yet to see an outbreak related to an outdoor t- uh transmission mm-hmm. but the positive like especially lately like uh so once again this is early january and schools are closed like the amount of people reaching out you know saying thank you for advocating for our, ch- our kids or for our youth like I, uh, it, that's really been something that's really uh been a, a like fuel for me i i People are giving, like, uh, thanking you for a balanced approach, not a a doomsday approach when it comes to, to, you know, what what you need to fear and what Mm -hmm. you don't need to fear when it comes to COVID. And, uh, you know, I I think the theme for us, like, as an ICU doc, you always got to look at things holistically. Like, if somebody comes in with a lung problem, if you give that medication, how's it going to affect the kidneys? How's it going to affect the the heart? How's it going to affect you know, their liver, like you have to constantly look at things at the at a large scale, like how's it going to affect the, their whole system. And with COVID, so often we've been looking at just like, how's it going to affect COVID numbers? How's it going to affect that case count? Right? Yeah. But how's that? Yeah, you're going to make this policy, but eating disorders are up. Your suicide rates are up. Overdoses are up, you know, uh, like the poverty, like kids that are marginalized already are getting worse and worse because they, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they're they doing virtual school. They can't, uh, they don't even have internet. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so economic
3: like, health is, economic health as well correlates to health health.
1: A hundred percent. And I see it every day in the ICU. Every day how socioeconomics equals health. The, so yeah, overall it's been, I, I got to say it's been extremely rewarding. And mm-hmm. I try not to let the naysayers, affect your game too much but mm-hmm. uh every once in a while like you'll get something that's like you got to respond to yeah, and flex just, a little bit yeah it but just it, tickles
0: yeah it, it's um, hard because the date like the data like what's actually happening is objective like what how ha- the how the virus spreads is there's no there's no you can't have an opinion on that it just happens the way that it happens the the thing that is subjective is policy and yeah. mm-hmm. and the the unfortunate thing is that there's never going to be policy that's there's never going to be a one policy that's right for everyone and i think about the when the cdc said uh you're mentioning the the thing that they said earlier was it the um, uh, the
3: lower the lower uh the lower quarantine time no, there's something that jumps there's me?
0: something else but the but, but the point the point of it was was that um that like even people who are marginalized like when we say that like jared when you were talking about omicron being quote unquote mild when to some people it's not to people who are immunosuppressed to people who are old, who are at, at risk yeah yeah and and it's so mild on mass and so when you're making when you're making policy and you say okay like the you know the, it's changing the virus the viruses is um you know creating less disease in people and people are getting less sick so therefore we can open up these lockdowns and stuff that's great. But for some people, it actually isn't it, like we had uh, um, uh, unlocking Bryson's brain, Keith, Keith on MacArthur. who who can't get vaccinated, who is at risk, who if he gets COVID, it could be it could be really bad for him. If everybody else is going back out into public and and he has to go and work from an office and his work isn't willing to accommodate him working from home still because the government isn't. Creating the or like forcing people to be in lockdown anymore, then that really sucks for him. But is that the best for the largest percentage of the population? Right. There's probably always probably not. There's it's, always going to really, be a difference it's, between. It's just a really hard conversation to have because there will be people, regardless of what happens, there will be people who are in a shitty situation because yeah. of the policy that's made.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I um. I I I would be f- I would be so fascinated. To see, like, if we could just create, like, a one-month, one- or two-month study where, like, no policy actually changed. The things that we did were the same, but we just didn't talk about case numbers in, 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 it, with the same frequency that we mm-hmm. talk about them. I want, and we focused on the metric that, that really objectively matters. Mm-hmm. who's People landing in hospitals, people needing mm-hmm. ICU beds. Those are metrics that really matter. Ooh. And the hospitals being taxed, that really matters. Is it is, is the case number the thing that we need to be thinking about anymore, in my personal opinion, agree or disagree, doesn't matter to me. I think that it I think I think that it isn't the metric that matters. And I would be so fascinated to see what the Ooh. what the cultural, like social change would be if we weren't exposed to that every day.
1: Yeah, I, I think <laughs> a lot would be different. I, I want to go back to one thing before I forget about the mild versus I'll reinforce mm-hmm. it uh, just in case, you know, you he- need to hear it from the horse. It is all relative, but it's, it's, sig- it's significant though. Like mm-hmm. if imagine you, we got in Ontario, 60,000 cases of Delta a day, that is an explosion of hospitalizations mm-hmm. and not just hospitalizations, long ones and fatal <laughs> ones. Like this is, so, like, when we say it's mild, yes, it's still, you could still pass from, from Omicron. But luckily, we, 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 it, it makes a difference. Actually, even one of the things that is hidden, you don't really hear in the news much, too, is a lot of the, like, or uh, ICU patients, still, there's still Delta there. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, so, like, right. it's actually, uh, <laughs> we're seeing some Delta um, in, in, in the GTA that's uh, uh, tying to people getting uh, more sick. But yeah. yeah, I think if we did anything to be a little bit more objective and less, this, like, like Reactive. emotional,
3: yeah,
1: when it comes to our COVID response, because I'll tell you, most of the response that we're seeing is is a lot of it is fear based. A yeah. lot of it is fear based. Instead of being a bit on the objective side and saying what is the actual best treatment, because like I'll tell you, like a lot of the the policies, like say you know when i don't know if you guys remember they were talk they were talking like travel bans and and all mm-hmm. these things when omicron we start to hear about omicron yeah the cat was out of the bag you ask any epidemiologist they'll tell you any anybody with a degree would say like there's not there's nothing you could do at this point yeah to, like it's here and you there was I mean? and there was
3: Ooh. and there was almost and when they were, when the travel bans were put on and put specifically on south africa and uganda and a couple of those southern african countries there was almost immediate backlash from the sense of 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 academics going you're disincentivizing a a, a country from from reporting that they found a variant because Ooh. you're because they're they're just saying hey we found it by the time you found it it's around the travel ban wasn't actually wasn't going to be useful, and then that's going to disincentivize a country from mm. from bringing that up later. And Uh-oh. I wanted to say, Brian, that I think you nailed hit the nail on the head there in terms of the, the, the sensitivity to the conversation around it being mild or how it will affect you is there's always going to be a difference between the anecdote of the person that you know and are close with versus when you're talking about population sizes mm-hmm. and massive data sets and <clears throat> how it affects how it affects people from from, you know, massive numbers. Mm. Quadro, what's uh, you know,
2: if you were to if you were to kind of put a period on this conversation, what's one thing that you would hope uh, people are taking from this conversation and, and that that can, you know, th- th- therefore go out and, and have conversations with people in their lives who, who maybe didn't hear this conversation?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a tough one to put concisely, but I I'll, I'll say the couple of things that come to mind is that you know, um ultimately let's let's think about a way out, you know, like let's think about a, a sustainable way out of the pandemic. And and part of the the reason why I think um you know, Taylor bringing this up is because therapeutics is is one of the the, the components of this uh I think obviously the vaccines are essential to this, but we need to kind of, we need to pivot at some point. And I, I'm not I'm going to say like, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know when it is, but we need to have that conversation of saying like, how are we going to get through this at the, end, at, at the end of the day? How do we get back to closer to our normal life? Because we can't do this forever. Mm-hmm. We can't. And we talked a little bit about like unintended consequences. This has been the theme of, Covid. To, if I'm being honest with you, like these, everything we're doing, we we're not often we we have that kind of once again narrow my uh, narrow point of view, that narrow lens. We got to think about how things affect things at, at a more global, a more holistic scale. And so, constantly having that conversation of like, how do we get through this? Know what your personal risks are. That's part of the conversation in terms of being like that mindset of moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. Knowing that, I hate to to say this for a lot of people, but we can't think of COVID as as something that we can avoid at all costs. We're all going to get it at some point in our life. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Like, this is not debatable. And so, you know, like, knowing that, like, how do we move forward? Mm-hmm. How do we get back to normal life? And how do we make sure that our youth, our disenfranchised uh, populations aren't being impacted uh, as much as they already have been, because mm. the, the things I'll say, I, I can say wholeheartedly, is that our policies, how we have approached this during different times, justified or not, or whatever, like just objectively, are going to, to like significantly impact life, like our youth, our disenfranchised, yeah. like to like generationally. Yeah. you know what I mean. Like I, I'll, I'll tell you, like we started a charity called Bridges Over Barriers during the pandemic because of how many people were struggling. And, you know, the stories we get about, like, the family saying, like, I had to choose between diapers and, and food for my family. Uh, you know, I have no job. Uh, you know, my, my kids are, are doing virtual school and I have to drive to uh, outside the library and hopefully catch some Wi-Fi. I got to choose between going to work or, or homeschooling my kids. There's 100,000 kids in, in Ontario that were just lost to the system during this time. And yeah. that's generational. I'm Ooh, sorry that's a totally. generational impact. We know this. It's not controversial data. We need to do better moving forward. Yeah. We can't keep doing the same thing uh, exactly the same and expect a different <laughs> result. So I, I know it's a little bit of a tangent on on some of the stuff that we talked about, but yeah, it's preach. a message that needs to be reinforced and we need to push that message. Mm-hmm.
3: Quadra, do you um do you I know I know it's a it's a regulatory process and that you're not involved in that, um but is there a I know, I know that the I th- the Pfizer and the Merck pill, I believe, are both uh, are both approved in the U.S. Is there a is there an estimate um, in the medical community about when therapeutics might be might become available in Canada?
1: These ones, I I'm, I'm, I don't know the timeline, but it'll come for sure. It'll come. Like it's uh, usually anything that's a, a green lit in the states, uh, aside from maybe like the. Johnson and Johnson vaccine, I think, but like, it'll, it'll, I have no doubts that it's coming. Yeah. yeah.
3: I mean, cause I, I really, I mean, again, I, I know this is being a dead horse here, but I really do, I really can't wait for the day for when somebody who gets COVID and is getting really sick has an alternative to going to mm-hmm. the hospital yeah. and that, and I think that's an outcome mm-hmm. that we should all be really hopeful for and really looking
1: forward to mm-hmm. Absolutely, you guys look up the fluoxetine, st- uh, like the antidepressant study too. Yeah, that's yeah. super interesting. I've heard, I've heard, <clears throat> I've,
3: heard um, I've heard quite a bit about it. Um, uh, I've heard quite a bit about it from uh, from uh, Peter Atias. Like, we should, uh, we should see if we can get someone on for a, a mm-hmm. routine checkup. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Quajo, uh, yeah, thanks, dude. It's it's always such a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Um, I know for sure that this won't be the last time uh, that we have you on to to shoot the shit. Uh, thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you for the messaging that you brought to the show today. And uh, we look forward to the next time we get to hang out.
1: Boys, I love it. Right, thank you so much <laughs> for having me. And yeah, I'm ready to dance at any time, boys. Yes. I'm, ready. Right. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs>
0: That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a
2: Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonas. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy and this is Sick Boy.